up, everybody? Welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. Today's podcast is about my son, James. I basically just did a video blog about what we just went through. We had a procedure for James this week. Uh, it was a challenging. There was some struggles that I went through and some uh, mindset shifts that I had to make. And it really kind of made me sit down and think about everything. So I just wanted to share it with you. And really, I wanted to document it for me for the future so I can go back and listen to it. And um, here's an update about James and all the different stuff about him and and how we're doing and hopefully a few uh, business and life lessons in there for you. My name is Bill Allen and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. What's up, everybody? This is probably the fourth time that I've tried to record this or make this uh, video. So I'm going to do like a video blog and just kind of talk about some of the things that are going on in my life as we enter this season of open heart surgeries for James. This week was a challenging week for me and Lucy and the family uh, when James had a, a small procedure with his heart and, in preparation for his next surgery, his third round of surgeries that he's having uh, this May. So brought some emotions to me. It brought some uh, different feelings, some ideas, some concepts, like all kinds of stuff. I just was thinking about um, what this is like. It's been almost four years since we've been in the hospital for open heart surgery with him. We've been to the hospital for RSV and some other things for him. Uh, over the past few years, but not open heart surgery since he was about six months old and he's almost, you know, four and a half. So I'll talk a little bit about James and then maybe some of the things that I learned from it. And hopefully you can t- have a takeaway. If nothing else, you'll get an update of my family and, and James's situation and how he's doing and everything. So if you follow me on social media or anywhere else, you've probably seen what was going on this week. On Tuesday, James went into the hospital at Vanderbilt for a procedure, a, a cardio a catheter, so a heart catheter, where they basically put a camera and some equipment down into some of the veins through uh, by the heart, where they can tell pressures, they can map it, they can look at a camera, they can see where all the veins, blood vessels, things like that are starting to develop and grow. A lot of these kids that have uh, problems in their heart, their body starts coping and they start growing new new veins and new uh, blood flow and new areas that blood can go to compensate for all that. Your body is really amazing. And as an engineer with an engineering background, it's really cool to see this stuff. This is the only thing that I see in medicine that actually puts numbers and data to a lot of things. It's not just, oh, let's try this and see how they do. Uh, I really like these heart casts. I I mean, I don't like going through it. I don't like seeing James under general anesthesia, a breathing tube in his mouth, stuff like that. But at least we can get some hard data and some information. And that's the way that my my brain works personally. Um, More science than art. So if you were at the first Flip Hacking Live in October of 2016, James was born October 21st, 2016. So just a couple of weeks after the first event that we did. I flew from Nashville, Tennessee. We had just moved our family there to be ready for James to be born. And I flew out to California, even kind of a little bit against my wife's um, recommendation. She didn't necessarily want me to do that. And, um, but I'm glad I did. It was, it was huge for me. It was a massive shift and growth for me. And I needed that event. I needed to speak from that stage. I needed to understand what this community was, what it was going to be and things like that. And we also raised an incredible amount of money for James before he was even born in his name for the Children's Heart Foundation. It was really, really amazing. Almost $35,000 was raised 
and before James is even born. So really cool. He's made a an impact on this community, my life, and a lot of other people's lives, even from before he was in this world. So James was born October 21st, 2016. And I'll give you some background so you understand what this week was like. And he, we thought he was going to be able to skip. They looked at the heart and all the echoes and everything like that. And there's three stages of surgeries. One is uh, a shunt that they put in. The second one is called the Glen, where they basically replumb the blood flow uh, to the heart, through the lungs, things like that, because you need oxygenated blood to come back to your heart. And so your body pumps this, uh, this blood out and your body uses the oxygen, uses the blood flow, and then it comes back and it needs to get oxygenated again to go back to the heart and repeat that process. Your left side is the pump, your right side is the return. Uh, these are kind of the ways that I think about it. James is hypoplastic right heart. So he doesn't really have a right side of the heart, kind of that return line, that return pump. And his left side is really strong and big. So his pump out to his body is really good, but the return is not that good. So his oxygen level in his blood is really low. He walks around this world at about somewhere between 75 and 82% oxygen in his blood. And you're at like 98 or 99% right now. If you were at 82 or 85 or probably even like 90, you would start probably getting dizzy, um, really not feel right, all these things. And he's lived that way his entire life. It's really amazing. So... Uh, the first one is the shunt. The second one is called the glen. And that's when they replumb half the body to, re, um, to bring the blood uh, around the way it needs to go through these kids' hearts and body. And then the fontan is the next one. It's the third stage. And it's the, it's the other half of your body. So you're, uh, after that, they, they think these kids are good. They, it's been about 20 years since they've been doing this, I think. And so the oldest kid that's had these is probably, I don't know, 21, 20, 22, maybe. Something like that. And... So we don't really know what the long-term effects are of, of this, but if he was born 20 years ago, he probably would have lived somewhere between three and six months, I would guess, and that would be it. So there is a lot of positive that's coming from all this. Um, we are blessed to be living in a time where technology is so amazing and they can do what they do. And these surgeons are amazing. The nurses are amazing. The whole um, healthcare system, regardless of what you think about it right now, is absolutely amazing. And I live in it on a regular basis. So... James had his first surgery after about, uh, it, he was born October 21st, and this was just after Thanksgiving, so he's a little over a month old. Um, there were some complications. They had to do a second open heart, so they had to go back in to make some changes, um, to make an adjustment, and, um, and then close them back up, and we were in there for about a month. And then when he was about five months old, we went back in for his uh, Glenn surgery, his second surgery, and uh, there were some complications there. We were in the hospital for like a month, month and a half again from that. And they had to open him up one more time. So I always say that he's had four open heart surgeries so far. They've done open heart surgery on him four different times, uh, even though there were only two scheduled and planned. He's also had three cardio heart caths. So a uh, heart catheter, but they basically, um, like I talked about, put the camera in and check the pressures and everything in his heart and map it out to see what's going on with him. Um, they will grow uh, extra blood vessels and the blood will find a way to flow through the body the way it needs to. So sometimes they have to close off um, some different pathways of, for blood and things like that. But it's really cool to see these cardio catheters, but they put them under general anesthesia. They put a breathing tube in their mouth, all this stuff still um, not necessarily as, as bad as a full open heart surgery, but definitely not an easy procedure for anybody either. So um, that was our life for the first six months that James was alive. We were going through this. We were basically living in the hospital. Um, we only had Will at the time. He was like 
two or three years old. And so um, I would usually be at home with Will um, taking care of him and Lucy would stay overnight at the hospital and then I would go visit and we would swap a couple times, but she spent the majority of the time at the hospital. And um, then after that, it was just kind of checkups with James. It was once a month echoes, then it became three months, then it became six months. And we have not been back in that hospital for James for open heart surgeries and in the cardio ward for, you know, years. It's been almost four years. And it, it time goes by really fast, but you kind of forget about a lot of that stuff until it comes back up, right? And so this week, we had a scheduled heart cath for James again in preparation for his next stage of surgery, the spontan surgery. And I tell that backstory so you know kind of where we were, where we've come from. There was a lot of crying. There was a lot of um, uh, a lot of scares that we had in the hospital. We really I, there was a one point where I wasn't sure if he was going to make it. I mean, he they they had this emergency surgery twice, emergency open heart surgery that was not planned twice that uh, just. I was down in Pensacola for one of them. Lucy called me and I had to, I got in my car and drove back to uh, Nashville as fast as I possibly could for that, um, like that fourth uh, open heart surgery that they did. Because I thought everything was fine. He was going to be out of the hospital soon, went down to Pensacola to work for the Navy. And then I got that call. So all that was our life for a long time. We've kind of moved past that. We've had a third baby since then, Lucas. And now we're not, not, not necessarily prepared and ready for this again. We're going back into that world again. And I didn't realize how, um, how it was going to hit me until Tuesday when I was driving James to the hospital. So I'm, hopefully I can get through this. Okay. Um, I just had a rough time on Tuesday. So, um, in preparation for this, I knew that James was going to have this procedure done and there's always risks. So you go in and they sit you down and they, the way it goes is you show up at the hospital you meet 15 different people, uh, anesthesiologists, nurse uh, anesthetist, a nurse, a assistant nurse, the, the resident, the, the surgeon, the, like you name it, they all come in and talk to you about some risks and things. Anywhere from um, some irritation to death in all these larger procedures. And so I knew what we were going to get before we got there because we've been through this process a lot. It was just hadn't hit me yet until a couple of days before. So I called Lucy and I said, Hey, I'd really like to spend some time with just James. It's usually all of us together, all five of us, or we, um, we take just Will, or it's rare that we take just Lucas, but Will's a little bit older. So I just wanted to go out with just me, her and James. So Monday night, we, uh, Lucy picked up James from school and brought him over to the office. And we just had a cool time with mom, dad, and James. And we went to Buffalo Wild Wings. We kind of hung out, watched the TV. I know he really, I brought him there once with just me and him before. I know he really likes some of the appetizers, the pretzel knots, stuff like that. So we took him there. And then we took him downtown Franklin to Kilwins for ice cream. And we just spent, spent time with him and hung out. We uh, held his hand and swung him as we were walking through Franklin, you know, one, two, three, whoa. And he would jump, run and jump and swing around and laugh. And I just wanted to connect with just him. So one takeaway that I have is I should be regularly doing this with all of our kids. You know, I wish that we had a time where the two of us and one of our children just went out maybe once a week. So three days a week, we have a, a date together with just one of those kids. Definitely a challenge for us to do. Maybe it's once a month, but realizing that we need to spend more time just focused on them because James is a lot easier. He's, he's a lot to, to, to handle, but he's a lot easier when he's by himself. So, so we did that because I, you know, I was looking, I don't want to think of the worst, 
but I really wanted to take that time to spend with him so we can make memories together. Um, cause honestly, we don't know how long any of us are going to live, not just James, but, uh, all of our kids and us. So I really just wanted to, uh, to find more time to connect individually with him and, and make those memories that we'll remember and he'll remember. So on Tuesday morning, we drove two cars to the hospital because, um, we never know when we're going to have to stay overnight. So in the past, we have driven one car to the hospital. We haven't packed a bag or anything like that. And then they say, oh, hey, you got to stay overnight or you're going to be here for three or four days. I hope you're comfortable. I hope you brought a toothbrush and some change of underwear and stuff like that. And we didn't. And so we're always prepared. So the more we learn about this stuff, we pack a bag every time we go to the hospital. We pack a bag for James, pack a bag for me. This time I was going to stay overnight with James um, on Tuesday night if he needed to stay overnight. And I packed a bag for myself and, and one for him my chargers, the computer, stuff like that to get some work done, all of those things. And we drove two separate cars because Lucy was going to have to come home for the boys that night after school. And I was going to stay with James. We figured we'd surely be overnight with him after a hard cat. And so we took two cars. I was driving James and Lucy was driving herself. And something came over me on the way to the hospital. I just, um, I remember looking back at him and he is the happiest little boy. If you've ever seen videos of him or have been around him, he just smiles. He doesn't really cry that much. He's just always kind of happy. He kind of screams sometimes. Um, if you think of an autistic kid, if you've been around some uh, children with autism, then he's, he's kind of like that. He's kind of um, uh, focuses on one thing, um, doesn't, you really have to, uh, doesn't keep his attention very long. He's really just kind of all over the place and screams and, and can't really communicate very well. But I looked back at him at one time and I gave him some toys on the way. And I said, I said, Hey buddy, we're going to go see the doctor. And he loves going to the doctor, likes going to the hospital. Uh, in fact, when we left, he didn't want to leave. So he just smiles and he said, yay. And at, in that moment, I realized that he doesn't know what's going to happen. Like he doesn't know that he's going to go under general anesthesia. He doesn't know that a um, breathing tube is going to be put in his mouth. He doesn't know that a camera is going to go down, you know, multiple veins of his. And at that, I just, it hit me like, I don't know. It was hard for me to, to see that and know what he's about to go through. And he doesn't know. And I just started crying. Like I'm driving down the road and I'm crying, like bawling, trying not to alert him, alarm him, upset him, anything like that. And just, I, I just couldn't control it. I was at a point where like I know as the parent what's about to happen and he doesn't and he's happy and he's excited. And he wants to go to the hospital. He wants to go to the doctor. Um, and it's, I don't know. I, I felt uh, uh, like I was responsible for that. Right. And so it was hard for me to, to drive him to the hospital. I, I don't know about a third of the way there. It wasn't so bad. Unfortunately, I, I was driving the Tesla that I own. So I had it on autopilot and stuff, but I, if, if I didn't, I would have, Absolutely. Like, I, I don't know. I was, I wasn't, I wasn't doing great. Let's put it that way. I got to a point where, um, I pulled myself together and just made the rest of the drive. Got him there, took him out. We got all set up, uh, got him checked in and, um, and he did great. He, he loved it. He got himself weighed. He got his wristband on. He got him his height, his height taken. He got his blood pressure, his temperature, all that stuff. Everybody loved him. He's hamming it up in there. Uh, he drinks a little bit of medicine, like a little bit of uh, sleepy time, giggle water, they call it. 
And he drank that and kind of just started falling asleep and getting sleepy. And then they, they took him back. And at the moment that they take your kid back to the procedure room, you go into the waiting room for hours. Um, they call you every hour. They call you when they start. They call you every hour until it's done. And if there's any complications, they call you as well. And you don't really know what's happening. And it's really, really scary to go through that. So we were sitting there. We went down. Lucy got some food. I worked on my computer a little bit. And we sat there. And um, then they called us an hour later and said, he did great. He's in recovery. Everything's fine. Then we go back up to the room, uh, up to the waiting area. Then they call us back in maybe another hour from then and says that the doctor wants to see you and talk to you. He came out and told us that everything was great. Um, James is looking really good. He's uh, definitely a candidate for the Fontan surgery. We have it scheduled for May 4th. Um, and that was all done. He said, he did a great job. He'll be recovering and he thinks he can go home that night. So we then, uh, then we wait another hour or two for them to call and say, you can go back and see your son. This is a time of coronavirus. We were lucky that both of us could even go into the hospital together, let alone both go back and see him. Since he's a cardio kid, they've made a new exception where the cardio, the heart kids uh, can have both mom and dad back there with them. So I was able to go back, fortunately. We sat there, he was sleeping, breathing tube in, uh, I'm sorry, the breathing tube was out, it had been removed, um, but he had an IV in and he was getting some, uh, they, they keep him under general anesthesia so that they, they have to lay flat for four hours after this procedure. There's no possible way that James would lay flat for four hours if he was awake. So they keep him asleep for about three hours. They wake up and then you kind of uh, talk to him, keep him flat and get him to eat something. Uh, they don't eat or drink anything for uh, 12 hours before the surgery minimum. So no food, no water in the morning and stuff like that, getting ready for that. So um, it's a challenge. I, let's put it that way. I tell you all of this to say, to get you in the frame of mind of a parent with uh, with a child or anyone who's going through some of these medical procedures. And I know some of you out there that I talked to have been through some of this. And uh, I'll say like, I don't know, this recording is probably more for me than it is for you. It's more to document this journey, what we're doing. And, and hopefully there's some takeaways that you can take from this as well. And, and if you care, an update on James and how he's doing. So we're entering the season again. And I was, I was becoming very emotional now, I mean, he's four years old. He is slowly developing. He's got uh, some other issues and struggles and problems that he has keeping up with the other kiddos at his age. And I just, I didn't know that it was going to hit me as hard. I, I figured it would at some point, but I didn't think it's uh, like a procedure like this, a heart cath that a lot say is not a big deal, which I think it is a big deal. It's a general anesthetic. It's a breathing tube. It's a lot of things that could go wrong there. Um, but it's not open heart surgery. And we're entering the season of open heart surgery here this summer. And as I prepare for that, um, I started thinking, I, I remember a story that someone told me about the story that we tell ourselves in our head is the most important thing. So the mindset that you enter these situations with is the most important thing. And if you enter it with a positive mindset, like the fact, if I entered this with like every day, if I woke every day, woke up every day and entered my day with James, that this little boy shouldn't even really be here. He should have only been here for like three to six months, you know, a long time ago. The fact that I'm grateful, I have this gratitude and this thanks for modern medicine and science, that my son is here because of that. And if he was born 25 years ago, he wouldn't be here. He would not have made it. And when I think of that, 
then I can be grateful for every single day that I get with him. And I won't be overwhelmed with the challenges or the pain or the struggles or the, the screaming or the hard nights or those things. I will be in a, in a state of mind of this is a gift. Every day is a gift for him and for all of us, right? So the story that we tell ourselves in our head is really important. Uh, use an example of maybe someone you know who, who passed away. And you said, oh my gosh, I just wish that I got a little bit more time with them. Or I wish I was there. Or, I wish I did this. The other thing that you can do is you can really think about all the times that you did spend with them. All the, uh, how grateful you are that you had the opportunity to know them, to be mentored by them, to, to uh, live that life with them, get all the information that they downloaded to you. You can be grateful and thankful for that. And if you, show, if you think about it like that, it totally changes the way that you feel about what happened. And so I tell you that because it's not just in these situations of challenges and difficulty. It's also in business and life and everything that we do. We're always looking at things on one side of the coin. If we can figure out how to look at the other side, it might be brighter and sunnier and, uh, and more beneficial to us and those around us, frankly. So it's not a why me scenario. It's not a, oh, this is not a podcast of like, oh, it, like, yeah, I got it so hard. Like, um, it's been su it's such a challenge for Bill and his family to live their life and James and all that stuff. It's about the fact that we get to do that. Like we get the opportunity to, to be with him and he's there. And if, you know, I don't know how long he's going to be here with us, but it's a challenge to me and it's my mission and my goal to make sure that we live those days and those years the right way. And sometimes I look back and say, man, I really uh, wasted some of this time that I, that I should have been spending with him and my kids and my family and things like that. And we all can, we can all look back and say that, or we can say, look at all the great times that we spent together, all the times that we went to Disney world, or we, we, I, I got to go out to dinner with James, just me and him. And we got to go to Buffalo wild wings and hang out and sit on the bench. And, and yeah, he was a handful because I didn't put him in a high chair, but God, he had fun. He was smiling the whole time. So the story that we tell ourselves in our head is so, so, so important. That, that mindset that you put yourself in is the difference between success and failure. It's the difference between happiness and unhappiness. And so always try to go into these situations with this positive frame of mind and look at the other side of the coin of that a lot of times is not looked at by most people. So that's one big takeaway that I had uh, this week is that coming up on, on May 4th, I'm not dreading May 4th, um, but I am going to live my life with him like it matters up until from today until May 4th, because I don't know what's going to happen. Um, so life is short, right? And I think we hear that a lot. There's a couple of things that I wrote down here. Life is short is one of them. And um, I think we hear that a lot and we, it's overused and we, we understand that and we get it and, and all that stuff. But recently I've really started asking myself, like, and you should ask yourself, are you living the way that you want to be living? You know, or are you doing, are you just going through life like a checklist or a to-do list? Are you living the way that you want to be living? Are you doing the things that you want to do? And recently I've been, I've been spending more money recently. I'm, I've been really cheap my whole life. 
And I've been spending money on experiences. I've been spending money on things, on, on um, ways for us to actually live and enjoy it instead of like prepping for 20 or 30 years from now, 40, 50 years from now, who knows? So live the way you want to be. I was reading a book recently that said, if you died right now, how, like what would the frame of mind that you're in? How would you feel? Would you have lived your life the way that you wanted to live up until now? Or do you have a bunch of regrets? Are you doing something right now that you, that's boring? That's a menial. That's not something that you should be doing. Are you living your life's purpose and, and feeling great in it? Because then if you, if something happened, you got hit by a bus, you died, you passed away, whatever, you would be living in that moment, you know? So that's the first one. Life is short. Are you living the way you want to be? The second one is don't wait to do the things you want to do. Like, don't wait. Everybody says, I'll do this when dot, dot, dot. I'll travel. I'll spend more time with this person when. I'll, I'll do these things that I've always wanted to do at some point when I have more money, when I have more time, when my kids are older, all these things. Like, go do that now. Go do it now. Figure out what do you want to be doing and do it. Find a way to do it. And maybe it's the job that you have that you hate, or it's the, the, the things that, that don't fill you up and don't make you feel alive. Like, stop waiting. Start doing. Start go. Just go. And the last one that I wrote down is financial freedom. And getting serious about becoming financially free or making steps and taking those steps towards getting there. And make it part of what your purpose is and what you do. Because with financial freedom comes time freedom. And time is one of the most important things that we have that you don't have any different amount of time in a day than I do or anybody else. And that financial freedom is really going to help you get to a place where you can do the things that you want to do. So a lot of people, like money is the root of all evil, right? You hear this quote? Well, I think it, it, it allows us the freedom that we want to, to do the things that, that we want to do. And it's not all about money, but it definitely frees up your time. Your, um, it allows you to do some really, really great things. And it doesn't have to be a ton of money. And also realize that you can become financially free way earlier than you think. If you're like me, you're thinking that, oh, I need more, like 30 years from now, 50 years from now, I don't know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna fill the coffers and that way I'll never run out. Well, I started realizing that I, I need to live now too. I can't, just, I can't just stop living now or not spend now, spend in the future. This is, this is my prime earning years right now. I'm 40 years old. This is the prime time where I should be earning money, but I should also be making memories with my children, with my wife, with my friends, traveling, doing the things we want to do. You guys have heard buying a farm. We got 35 baby chicks living in our spare bedroom right now, getting ready to move out into the farm. We're putting a barn on the property this week. We have a horse showing up. Uh, our horse right now is, is boarded somewhere else. She's going to come over. Uh, we're going to probably look at adopting a donkey and a bunch of other things. We're planning a one acre plot of produce for our neighborhood. We're going to build out a neighborhood CSA, a box uh, subscription for our neighborhood. Uh, I want, we want to, Lucy just brought up this idea of why don't we show movies in the field, like this big movie screen with a projector for the neighborhood, uh, like every other Friday night or something, they can come over and watch movies, like stuff like that. Like it's time to, it's time to just to have fun, live our lives, do something different, try something new. And, and, 
that's going to be a big part of it. So for you, financial freedom, it could mean getting started in real estate. If you're listening to this podcast, it probably is what it is. Come to one of our events. Come to our free virtual events. Come to one of our paid virtual events. Come to our live event. You know, Join our mastermind group. Do something. Figure it out. Stop saying, I'll do this when. And it could be family life. It could be business. It could be leaving your job. It could be whatever. Whatever is coming across to you right now, I want to help motivate you to decide that you need to go take that step, whatever it is. And for me, like the story that we tell ourselves in our head is so, so, so important. You can do whatever is in your mind right now. It just it might take some work and it might take some dedication and some commitment and some accountability and some help and somebody else to help show you how they did it. So you can do it like they did or faster. So this is a... This was a message and a story about James. I wanted to record it. I wanted to have it. I want to look back on it. I wish four years ago I recorded, I recorded a video of me telling the story of that surgical procedure, of how I felt in that moment and what, what I was going through so that I could be ready for when this time came again. And I encourage all of you to record, write down, write a journal, write a blog, make a video, put it on YouTube, do whatever. Keep it for yourself. For me, this is like public accountability. I can go back in my archives and we put this on the podcast. I can go listen to it one day. I wrote a blog post for James. I remember exactly where I was. I came down, I was sitting at my computer. It was like four o'clock in the morning and I was writing and I was crying all over my keyboard. I was just hammering out like my whole heart in there. And it was, I put it on our Blackjack uh, website. And it's James's story. And I still go back and read it. And when I read it, I can still feel how I felt then. But I've grown a lot since then. I've made a lot of strides. I, my mindset is totally different now. And I'm confident that going into this, this stage that we're going into of this open heart surgery season in May, that we'll be able to handle it. Like We'll be in a, great, a good place. And we will make sure that we've made as many memories as we can with him. So regardless of what the outcome is, and I'm confident that it will be positive, that we, we will know that we, he lived a great life and we lived a great life with him. And to end the story of James's heart cath, he recovered that afternoon and evening. We were able to leave the hospital around five o'clock. We got home. He had, I picked up some ice cream on the way home and he had ice cream and we went home. He saw his brothers, went to bed and had a great night's sleep that night. Like no issues. This kid, after having general anesthesia, breathing tube, heart catheter, so lines being put down his veins, and recovering from that, a Tylenol, and that's it. And he's back to his normal self today, the day after the surgery. Absolutely amazing to see those go back to school tomorrow. And just an amazing kid that can go through so much more trauma than any of us can. So our kids are strong, we're strong, and it's amazing to see what's possible in science and, and at these hospitals. Like these are miracle workers and I'm so thankful to have them. And they've got our backs right now, especially right now. Um, thanks for listening, thanks for hanging out with me. Um, you know what your financial dreams are, you know what your freedom goal is. Uh, figure out how to take that next step. It's like, stop sitting around, stop waiting for tomorrow. Stop waiting for the right time. There's never going to be the right time. Uh, trust me. I know from experience, there's not going to be the right time. So take the leap, take the jump. 
Um, if we have some resources for you, come check us out. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Clubhouse, wherever I'm hanging out. It's usually at Bill Allen REI um, or Bill Allen on uh, Facebook. Follow me, check it out. You can walk with me through this story with James uh, on social media. I, I know that I'll be sharing it there. Um, and I just want to thank everybody for listening and hanging out with me. And I know this wasn't necessarily a business podcast, but hopefully there's some lessons in here that you can take. And if there's one lesson that I want you to take from it, it's that it's the way that we, the way that we think about things, the way that our mind works, our mind is so powerful that if we can put ourselves in a positive space in a positive place and, and show up looking at the other side of the coin, that's not usually looked at, then, um, we already enter with a leg up on everybody else because they're thinking in the negative and you can think in the positive. So I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye. What if you could raise $500,000 of private capital in the next 30 days to fund your real estate deals? How would that change your business? How would that change your life? I've put together a 30-day challenge that will walk you through how to get access to all the private funding you'll ever need at incredibly low interest rates on your terms when you need it. It's called the 500K Challenge. This is the same system I've used to raise over $15 million the past few years. And you're not just going to learn how to raise it. You're going to actually start finding this money yourself within the next 30 days as you go through the challenge. This is the single most important skill any real estate investor needs to have, whether you're flipping houses, buying multifamily properties, wholesaling, or anything else. Jump in and start raising private money now at 500kchallenge.com. I'll see you guys on the inside.